I want to win again for sure, but like my next goal is, is Bathurst. Now that uh, emphasis on that raises, and I need to try and get that done. When I first took over the team at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, uh, weren't especially rosy, but we managed to win a, a race with Chaz Mostert that year in, in July, and I thought, gee, this caper's bloody easy. Hey, I'm David Reynolds from Penrite Racing, and this is Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. It's Tony Whitlock, and we have a potpourri of stars for the Australian motorsport media. We'll start in an alphabetical order, of course, which starts with Andrew Van Leeuwen. Welcome on board, Andrew. Oh, thank you. It's not often I get a run at the top of an alphabetical order. It normally goes on the old B, normally down the back. No, no, no. I'm, I'm a first name. Don't advance me, of course. Um, and Andrew, of course, is from motoring.com. Are there any other credits we need to give to you? Uh, probably motorsport.com might be good instead of motoring.com. That's a uh, fine automotive website that I don't work for, I'm, but motorsport.com is a Get all your motorsport news. No, that's fine. That's, it is quite confusing. All right. Next on line, we have Stefan Bartholomeus, of course, who's uh, supercarsaustralia.com or supercars.com, I think it is. G'day, Tony. I thought the one benefit of my ridiculously long last name of Bartholomeus was that I would get P1 in the alphabetized order. But uh, there you go. You're Probably talking to somebody here who has a W for a surname. So any opportunity I get, I'm answering <laughs> for Christ's sake. And third... Joining Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock on this week's show is Tom Howard, of course, of SpeedCafe.com. Hey, Tony. How are you doing? All three of you gentlemen had a fine time in Simmons Plains in Tasmania. Yeah, let's, uh, let's not, not all talk at once, but I'll speak for everyone and say that uh, Tassie is a pretty enjoyable event. Just uh, Launceston is a, a nice uh, city to be in. And uh, it was good to be at one of the more... It's a little bit more relaxed than the Adelaide and, and sort of Albert Park to start the year, but um, it's a great racetrack that uh, always provides something. And the, the best we've seen, our resident Tom wearing two jackets for the weekend. you think Tommy would know a bit about the cold weather, but no, he was two-coat Tommy all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very um, chance to, to wear the coat. So, so, <laughs> indeed. And, and Tom, are there any, any sort of uh, tracks that's reminiscent of England for you at Simmons Plains, apart from yeah. the wind and the rain and those things? It does remind me of Brown Touch in a way because you can see the whole track from certain points, but like the Indy circuit. So um, yeah. it has that sort of feel about it. Not, there's not too many sheep at Brown Touch, though, so it's, that's a little bit different. But, um, yeah, no, it's a cracking little track. I really like it. And, Craig, uh, you uh, didn't uh, go to a racetrack, but Sydney was your venue for the weekend. Yes, I was uh, in Sydney last weekend, so I got to watch the coverage, much like most of the punters on the hill who had the super screens in front of them. Funnily enough, it was an interesting weekend because, of course, it was the first weekend after the uh, centre of gravity testing, which uh, I mean, it was that a, a mostly a money-making exercise for Kelly Racing, uh, Stefan? A money-making exercise, did you say? I understood that they made the rig that was used uh, for the test. Oh, I think they they had a little bit of equipment there, but essentially that was chosen because they just had a an open space. They've got quite a uh, extensive facility there in Brayside, and it was a good open space that. Um, wasn't too far away from Melbourne Park where all the team trucks were previously, so it was a good uh, area for them to go and test all the cars. It was kind of ironic that um, the result was no changes to the Nissan and some ballast raised in the uh, in the Mustang and the Commodore. But um, yeah, I think uh, where it was didn't really matter. It was it was the result. Yes, indeed, and, and looking at the results. Um 
Tom, you could say that there was little change to the status quo with both Triple Eight and DJ Arpensky both uh, grabbing wins. Although, of course, it was unique uh, for the year that the uh, first pole positions for Commodore. Yeah, quite right. It's, um, I think, you know, we all know it's a bit of a holding track, so uh, it, it's always sort of that going in, thinking, oh, maybe this will be similar to last year, but actually, it's, it's, you're right, it's pretty much status quo, although obviously we did see a Ford win on, on the Saturday and a 1-2, um, but like I say, the, both poles were, were taken by Holmes and then Triple A got their first win of the season on uh, on the Sunday, but um, I thought it was pretty close overall, so it was a decent, uh, decent show from both teams. Andrew, um, you know, anecdotal advice from team owners and and senior engineers and things like that, uh, something that's quite telling. Did you hear any comments that showed up either way as to what was thought overall of the parity testing that's been done recently? Yeah, so obviously it's a pretty hot topic at the moment. There's no shortage of people that are that are willing to have a chat about it or voice an opinion about it. Um, they're not always willing to, to say to do a voice recorder, but they're certainly happy off the record to... Um, to have a bit of a chat. Look, I think it was really difficult to, to sort of get a clear read on whether anything did change. At Simmons Lanes on the weekend, there were some drivers that were saying, okay, look, they're, they're, you can't really feel a difference. Well, most of the drivers were saying they couldn't feel a difference in the car. Um, there were some, I mean, Barry Ryan from Erebus said that he felt that it, we'd sort of reverted back to the 2018 pecking order and seen sick would, sick would fall away a little bit. So perhaps the centre of gravity change had made a difference, but then Tickford don't generally go all that well uh, at Simmons Plains anyway. And probably what we did see is that the, the perceived advantage of the of the Mustang from an aero perspective is is mid corner in a fast corner, and there's not too much of that at Simmons Plains. So it's difficult to say whether the fact that we finally saw a hold and win a race is because suddenly this centre of gravity change has brought complete and utter parity to the field, or whether it was just a case that that the Mustang couldn't quite do what the Mustang does best at that circuit. So I think we're going to get a much better read on that um, this weekend where things are out of Phillip Island, where we go to a place where we know the Mustang's been quick because we watched it go quick in testing. And that would, even if we didn't have that data, you could sit back and go, well, this track should work for this car that absolutely smashed everyone to bits at Albert Park, which is quite a similar circuit. Now, there was one big rule change this weekend just gone that... Uh was something new and uh, and unique for, for, the, for that track, and that was the park fermo rule between uh, qualifying and a race. Um, overall, uh, Stephen, what were your feelings about it, or the teams that said to you something? Yeah, it seemed to be pretty well received by the teams. Obviously, a key part of it was to take load away from the mechanics during the day, where they weren't constantly having to work on the car between quality and the race. Supercars at the moment does have a bit of an issue with uh, with burnout for, for crews just because of the, the workload. So I think that was a pretty resounding tick there. Um, in some ways, it may have been a little bit of an anti-climax. Um, Tassie being a track with not a lot of tyre deg, we're probably never going to see the situation where People with more aggressive setups would, you know, would have a really surprised pole sitter, and then they would like slide back through the field because their deg was so high. It didn't really feel like it mixed up the order a lot, and obviously, teams aren't uh, too willing to um, discuss exactly how they set their cars up anyway. So uh, you don't really, really know all the details of that. But what I think we did see is that teams went a little bit more aggressive 
on the whole in the Sunday race, having learnt what they did on Saturday. And so that's sort of one of the interesting things of trialling this and teams sort of generally work out over time how to do it. So, um, yeah, I think hopefully we'd see a bit more. Obviously, the, the sort of big talking point was whether things like tyres and fuel should be added to the past thermal rules where you can't actually change fuel loads between calling and the race, which has the potential to probably spice it up a little bit more. It was interesting, Tom. There was a comment which Shane Van Gisbergen made uh, in, a, in the Sunday press conference, and that was about the input from not just necessarily Mark Winterbottom, but Phil Keed in Team 18. That feedback back into Triple Eight. Uh, that was an interesting one where Phil Keed uh, uh, some new ideas that they hadn't tried. Yeah, you're quite right. It's actually um, the Triple Eight. This could be an absolute uh, little win for them, uh, having Mark and, and Phil Keat work together so well. It's going, that relationship's going pretty well down at Team 18, as we saw on the weekend with the, with the, uh, with the pole position. And they almost got the spur of that podium, but it was actually ironically shame that uh, to go away from him. But yeah, this could be a real advantage for, for Triple Eight as well as, as they try and sort of fight back. And um, you have to say that, uh, that that relationship's working very well and could be extremely fruitful and, and an interesting topic to look at for the rest of the year. Of course, Tony, the conspiracy theory of uh, the Phil Keed to the Team 18 going under Triple uh, Eight is that uh, maybe uh, the head honcho out at Triple Eight had something to do with the uh, recruitment. Andrew, was it not that Phil was on gardening leave last year because of uh, um, where it was conflict or uh, uh, additional uh, requirement not needed that? Uh, did you know Team Penske? Yeah, it kind of seems like he's a he's a heck of a resource to just just sort of put on the yeah we don't really need this bloke list. There was kind of a, a weird moment in the press conference on Sunday where um, where Shane was talking about the influence that that, that Frosty had uh, on the team, particularly over the weekend and what they were doing. And he said, oh, you know, Phil Key's a, a pretty clever bloke, and um, he was sitting right next to Fabian Coulthard, who I think would probably agree with that. And and was probably sitting there going, no, yeah, no, he is, uh, he is pretty clever, and that's not a that he gets to, uh, he gets to, to enjoy anymore. But um, yeah, look, it's a, uh, it was obviously a massive pick up the team eighteen when they got, when they got Phil. That's an important part of uh, when you're going to put a small team like that. Like if you're going to have a small team, you better get the ingredients exactly right because you don't have a big pool of people to start shuffling things around and, and trying to find answers. So he's obviously, uh, they're obviously doing something right with that car. Again, let's. Let's not get too carried away. I mean, we got, you know, that sort of idea that it was a surprise pole for Frosty on the weekend. Like, that's a triple eight circuit, and you've got one of the best drivers in the category in a triple eight car. It was kind of, I guess, the colours on the on the triple eight car were surprising. The name on the window seems kind of foreign, but it sort of actually makes sense when you think about it in a practical sense. Because you know, a bloke that good in a car that's working on the circuit, that's a um, that's a recipe for a pole position, and that's exactly something they went out and did on the weekend. Just digressing for one second, we can, with you three gentlemen having been there. Um, the Jack Smithing, I've only seen the footage, literally what was the broadcast footage in a highlights package. And it did seem to me that Jack Smith, while he didn't sort of impede him, he didn't do much to help Winterbottom. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one because it's not like he was driving down the inside of the road, blocking the, uh, the front runners and trying to desperately stay on the lead lap or anything like that. But he sort of had the attitude that 
if I go into these corners and break where I normally do, it's up to these other blokes to, to pass me and actually outbreak me. But the gap between front and back in, in supercars isn't that huge. And just, just rolling off the gas and, and onto the brake a couple of metres early just makes it really easy for the guys to lap you. They don't want to have to dive bomb and maybe end up in your door if they, if they lock a front. Um, so that's why there was it was such a seemingly innocuous situation that uh, guys like Scotty Mack, who don't normally uh, tee off against people too often, uh, was pretty forthright that uh, Jack could have done more to uh, get out of the way. And I think that's just a classic first time in the main game sort of learning process. Uh, it sounds silly that you need to learn how to get lapped, but it, it really is one of those things that unless you're in the situation, um, you might not really understand how to uh, how to go about it. Tom, I know that uh, wild cards are a, are a good thing, but uh, the series be very careful about where they let rookie wild cards make their debut. But haven't they? I think they've looked at this before, though, haven't they? With um, when Kurt Pasecki was introduced as a, a replacement for Lee Holsworth, I believe, was, and that was when the rule came in for the super license. So. In my view, if you if you qualify for a super license, that's fair enough. You should be allowed to to take a take part in a wild car anywhere. I don't think it matters what circuit you go to. You if you've got the points, you've proven you're capable of driving in, in this series. So um, I think supercars have done a pretty good job of bringing in that super license procedure. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't think it's a concern. I think if you if you've proven your quality enough, and he's, let's remember he's done super two and, and super three as well. He's, He's done enough mileage. You, um, I think he, I think he's absolutely fine. And it wasn't dangerous either. It wasn't like he was doing dangerous things. Stefan summed it up perfectly. He probably, he probably could have been a little easier to be to be lapped uh, in that race. But he, he wasn't. I think you've got to look at maybe putting those sort of limitations in place. If there was a case where you go, well, that was actually really dangerous. But in terms of you know maybe holding a couple of blokes up. I mean, Shane said that he would have caught Frosty anyway. He just would have done it a lap later, which would have been the last lap. Um, but he still reckons he would have got by. So I don't think it had a huge impact on the race. However, they do have radios, so it's not as if the team could have not given Jack a bit of bit of guidance on understanding the situation, Stefan. Yeah, that's, that's always part of any of those things when um, you see, especially like thinking of the, the qualifying outlap situation where occasionally a driver looks um, looks stupid for blocking somebody, but it comes back to there's a little bit of onus on the teams and how they communicate that, which we don't always get to, get to hear. So I'm not really sure how it played out in that scenario. But I think we should also just mention that um, Jack certainly didn't qualify, uh, didn't qualify last for either race. Like he's a bloke that doesn't actually have a lot of runs on the board in Super 2. He's in his third season and uh, hasn't seen the podium yet. But he came in, and I think he was 22nd and 21st in the two quality sessions, somewhere around that. So um, in a field this this competitive, I think he actually um, probably batted a little bit above where uh, where I certainly expected him to be. All right, well, after the break, we'll be back to talk with uh, Andrew Van Lewis, Stephen Bontalamas, and Tom Howard. On Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. 
for Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock from Truck Assist Techno Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel, and we've got a, a potpourri of uh, motorsport journalists, Andrew Van Leeuwen, Stephen Bartholomew, and Tom Howard. One question I just wanted to raise, and it's, it's been absolutely a, a bit of a habit of mine for many years, and that's uh, not getting out of bed for anything less than 200 k's. There was a stark contrast between the Saturday and the Sunday races. Again, the shorter race on Saturday being highly processional. Gentlemen, Andrew, we'll start with you on, on your thoughts on the, how the Saturday compared to the Sunday. Oh, the Saturday race might not have been an absolute ball tear, but I don't think it was that bad. And I certainly don't. We're not talking about you know the old days of 60k sprint races with no pit stops around Winton where you just know nothing's going to happen. I, I, I think I do think the super sprint format is fantastic. That's my opinion. I think that the, the knockout qualifying is great. I think bringing practice into play a little more is fantastic. And I think that, like, if you look at the format over the weekend, you've got to remember Simmons Plains is always going to be a circuit where, you know, overtaking, there's only one real, sort of two really good overtaking spots. Everything's really tight. It's difficult to get things done there. You've probably got to realign your expectations to that, and I don't think I don't think there's a format issue. I think 120k's into a 200k the next day is, is pretty good. Yeah, I, I agree with Andrew. I think uh, I don't think there's much wrong with the format at all. Um, you summed it up pretty perfectly. It's, it's difficult track to to overtake on anyway, um, so it, it was always going to be quite difficult. But uh, I said, I guess just to go back to the qualifying, you asked me what I thought was the best. By the weekend, it was that. That was, I, I said, bring on more qualifying. It was amazing. It was so close. And uh, probably the highlight of the weekend for me because it's not often you see a field where it's point nine covering the top, you know, the entire field and then even a tenth covering, I think, the top seven, which is crazy, really. Um, but, um, but going back to the races, yeah, like, you can, yeah, they weren't, they weren't great races, to be honest. It wasn't a great deal of overtaking, but the weather certainly spiked up a bit on Sunday. Um, but yeah, I think I don't think there's a problem with the format at all. I think it's fine. Stephen, have you got things to add on that? Yeah, not really. I think um, as, as the other boys said, the format as it is now is uh, is pretty good. Like as with any sport, not every uh, every contest is going to be a ball tower. But I think um, in general, on a list of things of maybe supercars uh, for them to look at, that formats would be well well down the list. One thing I found very interesting was listening to a number of drivers maybe an engineer even or someone like that, listening to them talking about the qualifying and how interesting it was. And I thought that's something that we haven't seen for a long time. So, yes, I think in that regard, that, that format change appears to be something more worthwhile pursuing. Because the park survey will won't be in place at Phillip Island, but Queensland Raceway, I think, is the next time it's used. Is that right? Yeah, I understand there's going to be a trial at Queensland Raceway, yes. Speaking of short things, um, the short break, I mean... It seems like, you know, when I hear Fabian talk about, oh, it's not hard for us, we just fly home. Um, but there's a bunch of teams, you know, five different teams uh, on the ground uh, in Tasmania who won't see Queensland before next week. Is, is the short break, you know, killing the momentum for the series? 
so you know, helping momentum, but you know, with now then a longer breaks in between. Do you think that this back-to-back weekends is the way to go? Uh, that's a that's a difficult one because uh, obviously when when they set the calendar, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of different factors that um, get rolled into deciding when the events are. We hadn't seen a a back-to-back event in five years, I don't think. So certainly it was good that we didn't have a 2017 spec um, Simmons Plains potato because there would have been uh, a few cars probably missing from uh, from Thorpe at that. But um, yeah, like it, it's exactly as people have pretty much said it. Like um, there's a question mark there on whether this is too hard on the cruise, but. In terms of momentum, yeah, it's it's great for the likes of us who are writing news stories about supercars every day because it just feels like feels like footy where you've had the contest one weekend and there's a really solid sort of string of topics that just flow into the next one. So um, it's really unusual for the teams to be um, packing up on the Sunday night and then going straight back to Simmons on Monday and preparing the cars in the garages for the next race. But... Uh, yeah, in terms of the the outsider that doesn't have to pick up a spanner, I think it's great. It would have been a bit of a throwback to the times where it used to be Simmons Plains, then on to New Zealand, where the teams had to work uh, feverishly to get the cars clean enough to be then able to be put into the transporters and get uh, sent overseas. And uh, I, I imagine that it had a lot of that sort of feel for those who have been around long enough to remember when that used to happen. Yeah, and of course in, in 2013, which was one of the most recent double headers there with Simmons and Pukakoi, Scott Pye, Lucas Umbrella Motorsport, didn't uh, didn't field a car because they uh, had a brake failure at, uh, at Simmons Plains. Okay. Now, you've already, a couple of you mentioned uh, about Tickford, uh, you know, dropping the ball or, I mean, Chaz has made some comments about how, you know, they just didn't have the package together this weekend. Do you think it's a major thing as a centre of gravity Test, has that really made an impact on them, or was it just a bit of a hiccup because that's normally a track that doesn't uh, work well for them? Um, well, Tim Edwards said on Saturday night when they hadn't had a great run that like, they expected that going there and that their big problem is turn four. They just can't get the cars to turn down to turn four, which is a hairpin at Simmons Plains. And, um, and you know, the, I guess the issue there is that there's only one turn four on the entire calendar. It's not like it's, uh, it's one of those issues that if you've got, it's a difficult one to pour much resource into trying to fix because they don't need to go back there for another 12 months now. And it's, um, actually, I think their deal's over soon as They might never have to go back again. Um, but it's kind of just like it's such a, it's such a unique, um, I don't mean that. I'm pretty sure they're going to sign another deal, but it's such a unique corner that I think that it hurts them there. And then they just go off and it's a difficult one to sort of go, we really need to, to go and get this right. You say, go, let's get, you know, let's worry about big long corners that the Mustang's going to work on or whatever else or work on. 90-degree corners that we see a lot of on street circuits um, and let's maybe just put Simmons planes at the bottom of the to-do list. So I don't. I think we're going to see a lot stronger showing from them at Phillip Island this weekend. I think if they're running around in 11th, 12th, 13th again this weekend, uh, that, that, that's when they'll be going, oh, OK, well, maybe this centre of gravity has had a big impact and maybe we do have to, uh, we do need to smarten some things up. They're obviously, they're not quite at DJRT intensity level, but Scotty Max won six races and Tickford's won collectively one. So we know that, um, but I think they'll be a lot closer to the, in terms of, you know, where they filter out. Um, they'll be a lot closer to the, to the, to the classy end of the timesheets this weekend. And after the break, we'll be back with Inside Supercars on our post-Simmons-Baines review.
Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two lap the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do up and um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Will Brown, co-driver of the Penrite Racing number 99 car for Anton Di Pasquale. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock here with Craig Ravel, and we're talking with Andrew Van Leeuwen, Stephen Bartholomew, and Tom Howard, listening to their comments and hearing their points of view on what happened down in Tasmania. One thing, gentlemen, I wanted to ask you about was uh, Erebus. They seem to promise a lot, but unfortunately... There were a few hiccups at the end of the, fa- end of the day. Stefan. Well, let's, have, uh, let's give Tommy a run. Yeah, no, it was, uh, a, a, as I said, a welcome return for Erebus to form, I think, at the weekend. Obviously, we know, as we've talked about this before, it's, it's a Holden familiar track, so as we were expecting them to, to be up there. But they had a, a few sort of wobbles at the Grand Prix, and it was good to see them back uh, where we kind of expect they were going to be. They had, a, had an upright upgrade for Tassie, where they had struggled at turn four before, and I think that helped them. So they certainly got some benefit out of that. And um, I think, yeah, it must be said, uh, uh, kudos to Anton as well. I know he had a couple of wild spins, but um, he, you know, to qualify for all three segments of qualifying, qualified in the top ten for both races, and was on course for a seventh on Sunday until that gear linked uh, breakage, gear leaving breakage, which is unfortunate. And yeah, obviously Reynolds has, has stayed a podium and strong throughout. So for Erebus, I thought they'd been pretty happy and, and encouraged that the team seems to be back on the, on the right uh, pathway. Indeed, indeed. Um, so for this weekend, you would think it's going to be, a, 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 again, a, a triple eight. Um, although, you know, it sounds like the strong possibility is that Pickford are going to come back and rejoin uh, DJ Team Penske at the top with their Mustangs, Andrew. Uh, yeah, look, that's my that's my thought. I guess the, the, the thing that that further just to add to this sort of complicated web of you know center of gravity and aero and where everyone's at, um, you've got the fact that Scotty Mack just is just on a different planet when it comes to, to Philip Island as well. So you could probably stick him, you could stick him in any car from supercars history and he'd go out and win there because you could stick him on a push bike he'd probably beat everyone because he just knows something about that place and getting the most out of it so look I think you'd go you'd, it'd be tough to tip against Scotty this weekend Triple Eight pretty interesting there is sort of a, a train of thought that, that the Holdens are pretty slippery at least so maybe they're going to be alright down the straight but it's getting onto the straight and they're getting off it through turn one and turn two I think it's going to be the uh, the issue issue for them what do you reckon Tommy yeah. what do you think about uh, the yeah sorry yes yeah, and the Holland, yeah, yeah, I think Andrew's made a very good point there. Yeah, they do appear to be a, some, some people are saying three to four kilometres faster in a straight line. So, Philip Island is going to be interesting, but like, like you say, I think everyone feels as though the Mustang is going to, going to dominate, and certainly in the hands of McLaughlin. Um, but um, the other thing is, is, just going back to a point earlier, about Tickford, uh, speaking to sort of Chad after the race, he was extremely downbeat when I asked about Philip Island and saying he was not confident whatsoever, which sort of led to me saying, uh, to him saying that 
it's not just the strategy that's going on with the cars. There's a lot more fundamental issues going on that they've got to get their heads around um, before we can see them maybe back on the pace. And I think he was sort of alluding to engine power as well, not just Stefan, how much are you looking forward to Saturday evening when the first driver gets to say, say, my race was screwed because I hadn't pitted before the safety car that locked down the pit lane, which, of course, is one of the new rules they're trialling this weekend? Yeah, that's certainly... um it's another one that's going to be talked about a bit in the lead-up, but of course there's no actual guarantee we'll get a safety car in either race. So uh, I won't be uh, holding my breath, but um, certainly it, it's a good track to introduce it on because of the issue of space there. It's a very tight pit lane, and we've seen some unfortunate stacking incidents and what have you in the past. Um, personally, because of the reason you allude to there, I really dislike the closing of pit lane under safety car because it does really force everyone to pit early unless they're willing to have a massive gamble on um, on there being no safety car. At Phillip Island, with it being pretty high deck, is actually somewhere you, where you can get a reward for taking that gamble. But I don't think we'd like to see the bloke who's got the fastest car and deserves to win the race um, screwed over because he... He hasn't pitted before the yellow comes out. Um, that's not... Well, surely someone, anyone taking a gamble is not going to be in the top bit of the field, right? It's what you're going to do when you run in 12 or something like that. Oh, I remember Glenn Seaton one time, because this isn't a new rule. This is reinstigating a rule which came from the early the early days of supercars when the pit lane was closed. And I remember Glenn Seaton had a one particular Eastern Creek race shot to pieces. He was led it all day. But because his team decided to leave him out there, he hit a safety car and finished, you know, in 35th or something silly like that. Uh, because it, it, it completely rules out a whole host of strategies, as Stefan mentioned. And I would have, would have thought probably Andrew, you and certainly Tony, would remember those good old days of closed pit lanes. Um, yeah, no, I'm not quite that old. So I don't quite, uh, I don't quite remember that. But it's a pretty common... Uh, it's a pretty common uh, regulation. I think NASCAR uses the same thing. So I think everyone's got a decent idea on on how to work. And I, I don't think it's any coincidence that they're doing it at Phillip Island. And it's probably important to note that this is not. There was the, the, the fact that it's happening came out after Adelaide because of what happened with Rick Kelly and Chaz Mostert there, and that sort of been blamed for while this is happening. But it was a decision made late last year, and it was always going to happen whether whether that sort of um, debacle went down or not. So. Um, it's happening at Phillip Island because it's a narrow pit lane. The circuit, the facilities have been designed around racing motorbikes, um, and they've sort of figured it's a good place to, to try and really make pit lane a bit safer to work in. I think, I think strategically, it's going to make things pretty one-dimensional. I think if you're someone maybe running a Brad Jones car or something, and you're coming 11th or 12th, you might go, yeah, let's let's hang out. Let's hang out for a while and see if we can pick something up from that. But the guys at the front are just going to pit as soon as the window opens and, and, and try and really limit the chances of um, of getting caught out by the safety car. But, you know, I think maybe what we're seeing, and, and you could apply this to the qualifying, you could apply this to the Park Fermé rules. Sometimes rules work better at one place than another place, and it doesn't have to be a blanket, this is how this works now. It might be that because of those pit lane restrictions at Phillip Island, that's how Phillip Island is from now on. Uh, and because Tasmania and, you know, Barbagallo and some of these circuits are shorter, 
this is how we're going to do qualifying. And that's not a, well, a bit of flexibility from a series is um, is not a bad thing to see at all. For me, the most interesting the most interesting thing about it is going to be if there is a reason to cause a safety car, say that a goose wobbles onto the track at turn four. Um, <laughs> what it depends on is how long they wait before triggering the yellow in race control, because as soon as it comes up with safety car on the official timing, if you're past the SC one line, which is just before the pit entry, you can't pit. But there's no yeah, like the the actual decision of when to say that goose is too close to the racing line, let's have a have a safety car. If they decide to wait a minute and everyone sees the goose and goes, Oh, we better pit now, um, yeah, it completely changes the race as to how long they actually leave it before calling yellow. So uh, that that's an interesting fact that if we do get a safety car, I'm looking forward to seeing how quick they are. But then you're in the same boat that you are if you if you don't do that because then Every time someone thinks there's a safety car, they already dive into pit lane. And that's where we see these absolute just messes of cars going everywhere. And I guess like what you're saying, when that goose does does waddle out and it's getting closer and closer to the apex, and they go, well, that's like everyone's going to go, let's hit the let's hit the lane before this uh, this goose gets cooked. Yeah, so there's an incentive there for them to make sure that they call it straight away rather than rather than sort of letting uh, letting a little bit of time pass. One interesting aspect of the weekend was uh, Shane back in the winner's circle. He'd uh, had a dreadful Grand Prix, um, and uh, it was almost you know reaching a stage where you think like both the blank cars can't do well on the same day again. Because um, then Jamie has a pretty awful Saturday, and fortunately he redeems himself for that. What was he on Sunday? A fourth or a fifth? A uh, fifth. Yeah, yeah. So it's rather yeah. ironic that they'd been through that sort of system. I think it was an interesting one for Jamie. I think they kind of uh, they kind of went different directions in terms of um, of how aggressive they wanted to be with the with the setup uh, in qualifying, and Jamie probably didn't get the best out of that. Uh, and then he was struggling with some straight line speed as well, which. Uh, which Dado, Mark Dutton reckons was a shit, was a gear shift problem, something to do with the electronics. So that's going to hurt you there. Uh, so I think he did pretty well on Sunday to sort of scramble out, get some points. I mean, it's his Saturday performance, which was just mind-blowing for that bloke. You don't expect him to make mistakes like that. But, you know, he made a mistake in qualifying and he made a mistake in the race. And then he was kind of saying, well, I can't believe all the bad luck I'm having. But, you know, at the end of the day, he was making driver errors and I guess it stands out so much that I don't say that to tear the guy up but it stands out so much because you just don't see that from Jamie he's the he's the professor he's the Elaine Prost you know very rarely actually gets things wrong so it was um it was really uncharacteristic to see him just making silly mistakes Tom one but thing I guess you can't um sorry Craig but I guess you can't really blame him when you're at a racetrack that basically only has three corners of it if you are losing on the straight in a field where the top 10 can be separated by a tenth of a second. Um, you probably can't blame him for making a blue under brakes you know, the hairpin in a qualifying session when he's trying to get more out of it than, than what's there. And the, and the other point with all that is it was interesting that um, Mark Dutton sort of explained that there was actually a link between Shane's engine issue at Albert Park that you referenced before, Tony, and Jamie's problems at Simmons Plains because... On the Friday night, they changed Jamie's engine at Simmons Plains as a precaution based on wanting to run a lower mileage engine because Shane had had a problem at, um, at Albert Park. And it went from on Friday, Jamie topping the, the sheets with a practice lap record to him saying for the rest of the weekend he felt he was a little bit uh, down on straight line, which 
as ADL said, was uh, blamed on a on a gear shift issue, which was electronics, which for some reason when they changed the engine, it seems to have um, been related to all that. So, uh, yeah, a bit of uh, weirdness that you don't normally see with AAA. Mm, well, Tom, talking about people who don't normally make mistakes, there's been one pole sitter since the turning of wheels in 2016. That's uh, two, four, six, I think it's actually seven pole positions. And since 2005, there's only been three pole sitters at Phillip Island. Wow, okay, that's an impressive start. I was not aware of. Well, I guess we're going to see um, Scotty Mack probably um, add to his pole side at Phillip Island. I think, it's, um, I think that's probably on the card. Because what it leads to is a story that you were writing saying that they're going to use the data from Phillip Island to help with their ongoing parody investigations. The question would be, well, if Scotty Mack doesn't get polled, then obviously something has gone wrong and it's uh, changed it for the worse. So, you know, if, if he doesn't get polled here and he's been unbeaten for the last uh, three years and in the four years ago he had one of three pole positions uh, with Jamie and Mark Winterbottom having the other two that on that occasion. Again, this is another uh, factor, I suppose, in this whole sort of parody investigation, which is kind of interesting in the fact that where sort of all these changes are, and those data we're looking at are at Tassie and uh and Phillip Island, which is Tassie as we've already gone and said is a whole track and, and Phillip Island is very much area dependent but also a very uh, strong place for, for Scott McLaughlin as he's won I think the last four races there. So it's gonna be so like it just I'm not sure how much conclusions you can draw because there will be the Scott McLaughlin effect, as you say, at Phillip Island. But it is obviously the best place to get aero uh, data. So um, it's going to be interesting. I really, I'm not sure what uh, what they will find from this data, and it, and it appears it's going to take some time. Perhaps not even in, maybe not even to May before the results come back um, to see what uh, what the situation is. But yeah, yeah, again, it's, uh, it's another interesting factor that I'm, I'm not really sure how much we're going to learn this weekend. And AVL, of course, uh, Scotty's pole positions came in Volvos and Falcons, not just uh, in the one car with the one team. He's done it with two uh, completely different teams in uh, with completely different philosophies on how to uh, build and, and operate a supercar. I think if, if supercars want to take parity seriously, they have to make him uh, race in a Nissan this weekend, and then we'll really find out what's going on. Um, I think that's, that's the only way to really do it, and I'm pretty sure he'd probably still go out and pole it and drive away from the field, because as I said before, you could stick the bloke out there on a bicycle and he'd beat everyone at Phillip Island. So that's, I think in this whole, in this whole, the way this parody debate has unfolded, um, it's, it's, it's the, the way the Mustangs have performed on a whole, not what Scotty's done. Uh, and I'm sure he's probably feeling a bit under fire and that everyone's not giving him the credit he deserves. He's won, you know, the, the, the Mustangs won, you know, seven of the eight races, but Scotty's won six of those races and he would have almost definitely won seven if he hadn't have, um, if he hadn't have sort of been, been attacked by Cam Waters on the warm-up lap at Albert Park, which was quite remarkable. But I think if we were just seeing Scotty winning in the Mustang, there wouldn't be a parody debate. It's the fact that Tickford made a big step forward and all this sort of stuff. That, that They're the factors that come into it and make the other teams go, hmm, maybe there is something in this car. Because if it was just Scotty being Scotty and DJR Team Penske being DJR Team Penske and Ludo being Ludo, everyone would go... Yeah, okay. I mean, he was winning races in a Falcon, so um, you know that's that's the thing. Like you say, he wins races at Phillip Island in anything that he that he happens to get in. So I think that this whole thing isn't about what Scotty's done. It's, it's, you've got to look beyond that because he's obviously in 
he's in his career best form. He's the reigning champion. He's got as much, if not more, natural ability than anybody in the field. And, and to just look at him and go, well, he's the benchmark of parity. We need to get everybody up to that speed. Well, good luck. You're going to be, uh, you're going to be trying, working at that for a while. The thing I'd like to ask about is any of you gentlemen spoke to either Tim Slade and Chad Mostert. Tim, of course, won and, uh, at Laguna Seca and Blanc Plain and, uh, Chad came fifth. Did either of any of you gentlemen speak to them? Uh, not about that, I think. Second? Uh, no, there was a fair bit of supercars chat, but uh, didn't uh, speak about GT stuff. But obviously, for Tim Slade to go over there and have a win with, with those guys, with Nick Foster, was uh, pretty pretty special for him. He said it was the highlight of his career to date. And for someone that wow. um, has slogged very hard in cars that have been competitive, but not outright winners, most of the time in supercars, it, uh, it was great to see uh, him get that result, but also be going quite well in the in the Brad Jones Racing cars this year. As we said uh, a lot earlier in the in the podcast, it, it felt at Simmons like most of the pecking order has sort of sort of fallen back to what it was in in 2018, particularly talking about Tickford, but probably the team that has actually come up a little bit, and uh, seemingly it's because at least in part of these uh, the trap band for this year is uh, is Brad Jones Racing, like uh, Tim Slade and Nick Perkett have put some decent runs on the board so far and it's been good uh, good to see another team fighting in there. Indeed, well after the break we'll come back with the final thoughts of these three gentlemen as well as Craig and Tony McClark. Each week join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3 I think is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian title since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Freeway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Tony Delberto from Shell V-Power Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're with Andrew Van Leeuwen, Stephen Bartholomew and Tom Howard. And we're just going to ask their final thoughts, maybe reflecting on but also looking forward to both Simmons Plains and Phillip Island this weekend. Andrew. I want them all to give us championship winner within and uh, to the nearest five points. Okay, there you go. You want championship winner to the nearest five points. <laughs> I've, uh, I've got, uh, I hope you're not expecting there to be five points in the championship. So I think if we're working on what's happened so far, you might be uh, might be a little wider. Now I think Scotty's going to win the championship. I think Scotty's going to be unstoppable this weekend, and I think we'll have a um, you know then we're going to go to Perth. We'll totally different circuit, totally different event. And uh, I suppose with Scott, he still goes really, really well. He came from further back and full back and won there, whatever it was last year or whatever. But uh, we're going to go somewhere different again, and, and we're going to get a different story. But I think there's um, there's this weekend going to be tough. If anyone can beat Scotty this weekend, that's going to be that's going to be a heck of an effort. Okay, Stefan. Yeah, because I think it's uh, it's very hard to go uh, past Scotty for a championship prediction, and and like Andrew said, for this weekend. But um, I think the the uh, the other side of it is that Triple H just always find a way to be there. Like in twenty, what was it, twenty fifteen, when um, 
Pickford, FPR, whatever they were called then, came out and absolutely smoked everyone in the first half of the year with the FGX. Um, but in the second half of the season, Triple um, Eight did the reverse and they came home really strong. They were coming from too far back to win the title. And Jamie had a bit of a difficult year, but um, yeah, they just always grind it out and uh, find a way to end the year with a bunch of trophies. So um, yeah, still plenty to play out this season. And I hope that whatever happens at Phillip Island, yep, there's going to be lots of talk about Arrow, um, but that we don't try to jump to conclusions about Arrow based on that's off results at, at any race because the best place to find aero numbers is not actually Phillip Island. It's in a wind tunnel or in CFD or whatever the supercar technical blokes are, are working on. It shouldn't be a knee-jerk to, to the results sheet at any racetrack because there's so many variables in this stuff. And as we've covered off, Scotty Mack is driving very well and he's with a very good race team. So just because he's winning doesn't mean there's a massive uh, parity imbalance. Tom? Yeah, I was going to say, we, we actually asked three had a chat uh, before the start of the season, asked who we thought was going to win the championship. And at the time, I said, I thought it would be Jamie Winkup. And the reason being is that, uh, as Stefan sort of highlighted there, he's just very good at grinding results. Uh, I know he's had a difficult weekend at Tassie, but he's always there uh, just picking up the podiums. If, if he can't win, just, he's very solid. And in like 2017, where Scott McGoughlin was pretty much... Uh, you know, dominating. He was just racking up those podiums and just keeping himself in contention. And he actually went on to win the, the title, as we all know. Uh, but I do actually think, having said that, like you're looking at the form, it's hard to ignore Scott McLaughlin, as, as the two guys have said. He's, he's in phenomenal form and, and with a great team. And he's heading to Philip Island where he's just been so, so good. So um, you'd expect him to, to carry on that, that and be a very key player in this championship. But um, yeah, and just going back to Stephen's point, that's uh, extremely valid about you know knee-jerk reactions. And Adrian Burgess has already said that they, you know they always carefully and make carefully um, sort of um, methodical approach when they look at this stuff and when they make changes. It's always done very carefully and, uh, and that make sure they have the facts to back up these changes. So um, with the aero stuff, yeah, you know, wind tunnels is the way forward. Unfortunately, there isn't one that's uh, adequate in this country and it would be quite expensive to send the cars overseas but it's not, it is something that I understand that will be looked at in the future. I think one of the most interesting comments was Shane Van Gisbergen. I mean, I suppose I've been a Shane fan since he arrived back in the Team Kiwi days. One of the things was about him that he's a, a racer at heart. He doesn't care, he doesn't need to win a race, he just enjoys the contest. And the fact that he actually talked about Phil Keat and the impact of Mark Winterbottom, I reckon that's going to play out a bit this weekend. Phil Keat is one of the, the very smart people in this pit lane, and I think that that could have an influence on the way this weekend pans out. So <coughs> that's my thought anyway. Mm. Craig? I just want to say that this is a middle stretch that Scott McLaughlin has always done extremely well. So if 2018 happens to be any sort of form guide, we're four races away till we have a different winner other than Scott McLaughlin. And uh, and if 2018's any form guide, his teammate wins one of the next six. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us on Inside Supercars. We look forward to catching up with this weekend, although I understand, Andrew, you're going to be 
In North to a wedding? Yes, yeah, I won't be on the ground. Uh, I think last time I came on this podcast, I was about to go to Germany instead of going to Tail and Ben. So I have a good, uh, I have a good history of just the old dump and run, just throw a few opinions out there and disappear and make sure no one can uh, chase me down and. Uh, and make good on it. We should mention, well, though, sure. Tony, before we wrap up with AVL, that uh, he has got a uh, podcast of his own to spruik. Oh, yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, Below the Bonnet with uh, David Reynolds and Michael Caruso and myself. We uh, we talk about a few things and have a few laughs, and it's just a sort of light-hearted, informative take on uh, on supercars. In no way in competition to this podcast, they can live in perfect harmony together. So add it to your rotation of uh, supercars podcasts, and, yeah, give it a listen. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us on Inside Supercars this week. We look forward to watching this weekend and seeing firsthand as to the way it pans out and uh, look forward in future weeks to hearing more on your opinions. So thank you to Andrew Van Lewer and Stephen Van Lewer and Tom Howard. Cheers, guys. Thank you. And thank you from me. And good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars.